and welcome to Myth Monsters. My name is Erin and I'll be your host for these little snack bite-sized podcasts on folklore and mythical monsters from around the world. These podcasts focus on the actual cryptids, folklore and mythic monsters from global mythology, rather than focusing on the full stories of heroes and their big adventures. I'll also be dropping in some references that they have to recent culture and where you can see these represented in modern day content so that you can learn more and get as obsessed as I am about these absolute legends of the mythological world. We are heading up into the world of slight fantasy this week, but we're also heading up north, where I also am this week for a work trip to Manchester, so whilst I'm freezing up in the moors, I hope you enjoy this one. We are talking about a water monster this week though, so I'm not sure how cosy this one will actually be. We are looking at the Grindelows, creatures from Northern English folklore that have been brought up into the spotlight with some big modern media that we'll get onto later. Grindelows are described as water spirits that live in bogs, lakes and marshes. They're depicted as small, green-skinned creatures that are about three foot in size, with a humanoid face, but sharp barbed teeth pointed ears and large black eyes. There are a few descriptions of the body of a Grindelow, the most popular being that they have a humanoid torso, which ends in eight tentacles that can whip around prey as well as provide a swift exit from any misadventures. However, whilst this is the most common thought, within folklore, it's believed that they have a completely whole human body just at a smaller size, with very long, agile fingers and claws that are perfect for grabbing prey from the water side and not letting them slip from their grasp before the victim drowns. They are completely aquatic creatures, so they cannot breathe air at all and live their lives entirely underwater. Because of this, they have gills that are situated on the sides of their faces and slimy but not scaly skin. They tend to eat fish, terrapins, algae and weeds, but will occasionally have a human nibble too. They prefer to live in large bodies of water, with plenty of greenery for them to hide in, and poor visibility to those who do not live in the murky depths. Up in the moors of Lancashire and Yorkshire, the UK is known for having plenty of bog and marshland, as well as places like the Lake District being close by with large bodies of water. The visibility in these marshes and bogs is incredibly poor, making them perfect spots for the Grindelow. It's also pretty cold up in the northern part of England, with temperatures of bodies of water averaging at 6 degrees Celsius or 40 degrees Fahrenheit in the winter, which is pretty cold. Despite all of this, They are incredibly strong swimmers, and catching a glimpse of them is particularly difficult. But realistically, as soon as you've seen them, it's most likely too late. They attack anything that comes to their water's edge, pulling in their victim with their incredibly strong grip. They will attack in large groups of at least 15 Grindelows, overwhelming the drowning swimmer, and dragging them to the seabed where they would drown, and left to be consumed by sea life, grindelows, or just to decay in the water. 
There's no evidence to say that Grindelows eat their victims, but they do like children as a tasty snack. And of course, children are the most common victim due to their natural curiosity and clumsiness around water. Now, with Grindelows, we're not entirely sure how they reproduce, although there is an assumption that they are very similar to fishes with eggs, and we're also not sure how they die either. And that's because, technically, they are spirits. It could just be that they are immortal and invulnerable to anything we can do to them, but there's been no research on how to get rid of them. They are just Grindelow-infested bodies of water, And that is it, you just don't go near them. That's how you survive. For the etymology, there's not a direct and confirmed translation for the word Grindelow. However, folklorists do believe that Grindelow comes from Grendel, from the epic poem Beowulf. Grendel is a giant monster who is unbelievably violent and lives in a riverside cave, and therefore, due to the Viking influence on the UK, as well as the link to water, a lot of monsters from bogs, mires and marshes are linked to Grendel. But the Grindelow is the only one with the name linked so far, but you can certainly see the similarity. Which leads us into their history, because in theory, we can then link this monster to the Vikings, which were here in the UK during the Norse invasion between 789 to 1066 AD, and had a huge influence on British culture and society then and now, and brought across many of their folklore and mythical legends across the Norwegian Sea with them. There are plenty of monsters that owe their existence in the UK to the Viking invasion, but a lot of them do stem from old English pagan and Celtic beliefs, when Britain didn't have any external influence. There are two really important things to note when it comes to British folklore. One is that Britain is considerably isolated. We are just an island, and especially back then in the Viking era, getting to us was particularly difficult, and so we were very much isolated and came up with our own folklore and culture just based on who we were, but we were also invaded a lot of times, and whilst we were conquerors later in history, during the Middle Ages and prior, Britain was invaded and subsequently conquered by France, Norway and Denmark, and the Romans. And so to call something British folklore is always a bit tricky, as the outside influence, especially during this time and prior to 1066, is hard to avoid. We do believe, though, that Grindelows are the Lancashire and Yorkshire equivalents of the water spirits from other counties in the UK, such as Jenny Greenteeth, Peg Powler, Nellie Longarms, Nixie and Kelpies. And all of these are just a handful of monsters, and each of them come from around the same time, all being introduced into folklore in the 10th or 11th century, whilst England was still being formed as a country, and the Vikings still had significant control over the northern English counties. And so when we think of England during this time, or even Britain, we are talking about the four separate countries, and realistically, as England wasn't formed itself, we're very much talking the southern part of England and the northern part of England, where the Vikings had a significant hold over the north, because of the proximity to, of course, 
Norway, Denmark and Sweden, we can see a difference in culture and in society within those parts of the UK, even going up to now. And because of all of this, our history is a little bit murky when it comes to these kind of monsters. We can't differentiate between Grindelows, Jenny Greenteeth, Nixie and Kelpies. Even though they are all British monsters, we can't figure out where their origins came from, bar the fact that we've got significant evidence that the Nixie comes from Scandinavia and Germanic folklore, and the Kelpies definitely come from Scottish folklore. But all of these inspire each other, and it makes the origins really quite cloudy around all of them, and Grindelows are no different. Other than this vague timeline that we have though, we don't really have much else on this monster, which is a real shame. I did actually have to double check that this was even a real folklore monster, because of the giant elephant in the room that I have yet to mention. Of course, when we talk about Grindelows, we have to talk about Harry Potter. The Grindelow was a really big part of the Goblet of Fire, which is the fourth book and movie, where they live in the Great Lake next to Hogwarts, which is in Scotland, as pets of the merfolk that dwell there alongside the giant squid. Within this interpretation, they have the octopus lower half, and are vicious little monsters that try to tear our protagonist and his friends apart, and are only repelled with a spell to freeze them and push them away. We actually owe a lot of their interpretations down to this piece of media, and really any of their popularity and renown. On the other hand, whilst I'm always glad when a monster gets the spotlight from a movie franchise or book series, when there's so little on the monster within research and folklore that we can physically find, it begs the question of fiction or folklore. And that is how powerful this type of media is, and really how small monsters within folklore that may have been passed over without it can be blown up and popularised by it. There are countless Harry Potter Wikipedias and fan sites that discuss Grindelows, however, it's really hard to pull apart the fiction from the folklore when there is so little folklore out there that cannot be attested to within Harry Potter, so it's really hard to figure out as a folklorist. And I'll be honest, it was the D&D and Pathfinder wikis that convinced me to keep doing this monster, as they've been around since the 1970s, and so we know that they weren't influenced to make this monster a thing from Harry Potter. Whereas, with the more modern influences, it's hard to figure out if they come from that, or they are actually coming from folklore, as sources are far and few between. But in reality, what we do know is that these monsters were most likely created with the purpose to caution people away from the water, which you'll know from all of our other monsters like this. As their favourite meal is child, and they are the most common victims to shallow water drownings, it makes sense for local parents to tell their children of the dangers of Grindelows grabbing them, rather than the vague and intangible threat of the murky water. We see this a lot within British and Scandinavian folklore, because as well as the general drowning threat, our weather is usually on the colder side, making bodies of water deadly for cold shock, hypothermia and drowning. As we're on the topic, 
our lakes and rivers are also susceptible to really intense currents, and they are deadly to even the strongest of swimmers. So warning anyone away from our local water sources was a great idea back then when we only had word of mouth, and now when we have a much wider influence. And that is the biggest difference. Right now, we have information at our fingertips with the internet and regular safety adverts for the dangers of water, when back in the Viking era of Britain, it was all spread through that word of mouth, and personifying them as these little green monsters that will snatch you made the threat considerably more real to those children. Now, I don't really have any reality-based comparisons for these Grindelows. The only thing I could possibly link them to in terms of marine life is cuttlefish or squid. However, they're generally not fond of stagnant bodies of water, and to get them in there is a question in itself, and they very much prefer the open sea. But they're really the only things I can think of octopus would just not bother. For monsters that are like this, I have already talked about all of them, but if you wanted more information on all of these, I will be covering Jenny Greenteeth, Peg Powler and Nelly Longarms in a single future episode, as they are all very similar and, again, have lacking information. And we have covered the Germanic Nixie and the Scottish Kelpie before, so go check them out to find out more. But long story short, they are all river or lake monsters that have been spotted within the UK and are all used as cautionary tales to stay away from the water. But now, onto modern media. We do have a few bits of Grindelows, of course. However, I filled this out with some water beasties as well. For art, we don't really have anything specific, so have a look at the independent art this week, or all of the work that has come from Harry Potter within CGI and animation, they look really cool, it's a great representative of what they might look like, and it's the common one we think of when we think of Grindelows. In movies, we have the Harry Potter series, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, Legend, Dagon, Farcadden, Pirates of the Caribbean, Frozen 2, Luca, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Scooby-Doo and the Ghoul School, Star Wars, Fairy Tale, A True Story, Underwater, Aquaman, The Adventures of Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and Barb and Star go to visit Del Mar. For TV, we have Grimm, Masters of the Universe, The Secret Saturdays, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Monster Force, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Doctor Who, Winx Club, Legend Quest, Black Clover, Berserk, Eden Zero, Fairy Tale, H2O, Just Add Water, Tidelands, Mako Mermaids, a H2O adventure, Farscape, The Outer Limits, Adventure Time, Ben 10, Arcane, Duck Tales, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, and Lil Monsters. And in video games, we have ones such as Lego Harry Potter, the Harry Potter game series, Hogwarts Legacy, Remember Me, Roki, The Witcher, Dark Age of Camelot, Tribes of Midgard, Dota 2, Elder Scrolls, RuneScape, Warcraft, World of Warcraft, Sequoiden, Dwarf Fortress, Fallout, Stellaris, Mythgard, Valheim, Final Fantasy XIV, Resident Evil Revelations, The Legend of Zelda, Pathfinder, Darkest Dungeon, Losternia, 
Monster Hunter, Bloodborne, Monster Prom, Overlord, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, Splatoon, Terraria, and Unforgiving A Northern Hymn. And lastly, in book recommendations, for this week it is Water, Selkies, Sirens and Sea Monsters by Rhonda Parrish for some great underwater dwelling monsters. Or you've got Treasury of Folklore, Seas and Rivers by Dee Dee Cheney and Willow Winsham because this series of folklore books is amazing and this is their water monster one, so I highly recommend it. But now it's time for Do I Think They Existed? I'm going to say no on this one and it's the usual reason with water monsters and cautionary tales I'm afraid. Sorry to be really boring. Although the only difference with these monsters is that they are mostly bog or marsh water monsters, which is really deep, but definitely not deep enough to evade scientific discovery, and I think we probably would have found some little green watermen by now. But what we do need to take into account is the cautionary tale and how important they are to these kind of environments, especially back in the day in the Middle Ages, but also even today. These monsters are an imperative deterrent to keep children and vulnerable people away from the water's edge, and realistically, because folklore says they do not eat their prey, it means that we could go find the person's drowned body and still blame this on Grindelows or other river or marsh-based monsters. I think these myths are still really important, as water deaths in the UK are still incredibly high due to our vast lakes and harsh coastal currents, which people generally underestimate. So I think the idea that this monster is this area's water warning is quite fitting, and I certainly wouldn't want to go near the water's edge here thinking that one of these would grab me, and realistically it would be about 15 of them, and that just sounds like a nightmare. I have myself fallen into Lake Windermere in the Lake District where Bo Ness lives, as well as dunking my hand into Loch Ness, but I think this one might win in terms of creepiness within bodies of water in the UK that I would avoid. I cannot help but think of the dead marshes from Lord of the Rings when it comes to bogs and mires, and that scene used to freak me out so much that I would probably never go near an actual marsh anyway. I actually fell into a bog in the local woods when I was about 10, when I was walking on what I thought was a fallen log on the floor, but it turns out it was actually floating, and naturally I fell off. It was disgusting, but I didn't see anything whilst in the water, I just wanted to get out as quickly as possible because it was very cold and very smelly. But quickly, whilst we're on the topic, let's make it serious, that you should always avoid wild swimming within lakes and rivers you are not familiar with. I used to live on the River Avon in Bath, and the amount of people swept away by the deadly current and not found was heartbreaking. Please do not become a statistic, and do your research before jumping into any body of water in the UK or elsewhere. It's so important. Please keep yourselves safe. And on a more light-hearted note, away from Grindelows and Jenny Greenteeths. But what do you think about this monster? Did the Grindelows haunt the northern English rivers and marshes? Let me know on Twitter. I would love to know what you think about this one. A fun, but for me a slightly frustrating, lacking information monster this week. 
I really struggled to find a lot beyond Harry Potter references, although we do know that they must have existed long before then. So I hope you've learned something else from outside of that universe within this episode, at the very least. Next week, though, we are heading over to our Norse neighbours and looking at a Viking monster, and specifically a Viking monster this time, the Dis or Disir. Get ready to pray to these fierce female warrior spirits next Thursday. For now, thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a rating on the service you are listening on. And I've got the Twitter for any questions or suggestions on what monsters to cover next. And I'd love to hear from you. The social media handles for TikTok, YouTube, Threads and Instagram are Myth Monsters Podcast. But the Twitter is Myth Monsters Pod. And all of our content can be found at mythmonsters.co.uk and you can find this on Good Pods, Buy Me A Coffee and Patreon if you want to help me fund the podcast too. Come join the fun though, share this with your pals, they might love me as much as you do. But for now, stay spooky, and I'll see you later, babes.